This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... He says, the Khawarij have this morning attacked our forces in Hilolegab. He says, troops inflicted heavy casualties on the group and their bodies are scattered on the battlefield. That's the spokesman for Somalia's Hershabel state on an attack by Islamic militants. Details coming up also. Chad's government says 11 army officers unsuccessfully tried to destabilize the country. The body of a gay model, an activist, was found in a metal box in Kenya. And Republicans are still trying to agree who will become the powerful speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Chad's government says its security forces foiled an attempt by a group of army officers to destabilize the country and undermine constitutional order. VOA's French to Africa service chief, Timothy Don- Donangmai, is standing by to brief us on the matter. Welcome to African News tonight, Timothy. My pleasure, yeah, yeah. So, Timothy, what is going on in Chad with this attempted coup? Well, uh, yesterday, Thursday, Chad's communication minister and government spokesman said in a statement that the government had foiled a destabilization attempt aimed at undermining the constitutional order and institutions of the republic. Uh, they said the plot, he said the plot was, uh, the plot implicated a group of 11 army officers headed by Baradin Berde Targiu. He is the president of Chadian Human Rights Organization. And so it was also announced that the security forces started arresting the suspects in uh, December 8, uh, around December 8, and that an um, investigation has been opened. Uh, however, uh, people in Chad recall that last December, shortly after the alleged suspects were being rounded up, uh, the Chadian Armed Forces General Staff issued a press release denying what it termed crazy information circulating on the web about coup d'etat in Chad. The press release went on to say a small group of officers of the Chadia National Army manipulated by civilians who were planning actions to disrupt the institutions of the Republic, but that the military intelligence service uncovered the plot and arrested them for investigation. The statement added that the Chadian Armed Forces General Staff reassured the population and asked it to go about its business. So, yes, this, is, uh, this change of tune makes one question really what is happening in Chad. Do we know a little more about uh, the uh, the instigator of the coup, uh, Baradin Berde, uh, uh, him being the Chadian Human Rights Organization president? Uh, right. Uh, alleged uh, mastermind of uh, that plot is uh, uh, Baradin Berde Targyu. He's a well-known human rights activist. And, uh, and so it's not uh, his first run-in with the law in Chad. Uh, he was arrested in, uh, I think, 2020 and was sentenced in uh, 2021 to three years in prison. 
under the charge of undermining the constitution. Uh, some people say uh, he he uh, spoke about the health of uh, the late president Idris Deby Itno on uh, social media, and that it was the, the reason why uh, he was arrested. And uh, uh, Timothy, uh, one last thing. Uh, as far as uh, Chad is concerned, the overall uh, uh, the, the the state of uh, the government in Chad, uh, how is it? And uh, are they actually uh, because you know uh, these uh, coup d'etats are so frequent over there uh, in that area, like the Sahel. Right, uh, and, and this is uh, a country that has uh, what I would say. I would term an inflation of uh, high-ranking uh, military personnel. They, according so, to some estimates, there are more than 500 generals uh, in charge for uh, an army of uh, between uh, 40 and uh, 65,000 troops, and, and so that that is bound to um, to lead to this kind of uh, situations. Yeah. And also, we don't have really transparency in what in what is going on in Chad uh, at this time. The government has yet to release a comprehensive report on the death of President Idris Deby Itno in uh, 2021 in Western Chad on the front line of a battle against rebel groups. We don't know yes. what happened there. Timothy Donangmai, Chief of the French to Africa Service at The Voice of America, thank you for your input. Anytime, yeah, yes. Somali officials say a pre-dawn attack by Islamist militants on an army base was repelled but left at least seven soldiers dead. The attack took place in a part of southern Somalia, recaptured from the militant group Al-Shabaab last week. Mohamed Daisen reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. The attack took place early Friday in the village of Filolegab on the outskirts of the recently liberated town of Rurnirgod in the middle Shabal region. The army said Rurnirgod 240 kilometers north of Mogadishu was the last Al-Shabaab stronghold in the region. Daoud Hajerro is the spokesman for Hirshabel estate. He told via via WhatsApp that the attack began with five explosions and was followed by a heavy gun battle. He said seven soldiers were killed, including a military colonel and two other officers, and that a number of the attackers were also killed. He says the Khawarits have this morning attacked our forces in Hilolegab. He says troops inflicted heavy casualties on the group and their bodies are scattered on the battlefield in Hilolegab. He said they ran away into a forest part of the Gilgadud region. Khawarits is a derogatory term used by Somali government officials to describe Al-Shabaab locals who spoke with VOA over the phone after the deadly attack said several civilians were also killed in the fighting. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the attack and said it killed 31 soldiers, including five senior commanders. It also said it has seized eight military vehicles. VOA could not independently verify the group's claims. The attack comes a day after a twin suicide car bombing in the country's central town of Mahas killed more than 30 people 
and wounded more than 40 others. Al-Shabaab also claimed responsibility for that attack, the deadliest in the Horn of African nation since the start of the year. Last year, Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud declared an all-out war against the militant group. Since then, Somali government forces, backed by local militias, have succeeded in recapturing towns and villages in central Somalia that the group had controlled for years. Mohamed Daisane for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. In the United States Congress, members of the House of Representatives will try for the fourth day to select a Speaker of the House. Republican Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy has the backing of at least 200 members of his party but needs 218 lawmakers to vote for him. The effort to select a Speaker is now the longest in more than 150 years. VOA's Veronica Balderas Iglesias is following the developments on Capitol Hill, and she joins me on the line. Welcome to African News Tonight, Veronica. Hi, Yeheyes. Thank you for having me. Well, yes, as you were saying, the House is adjourned until noon today, and this is the fourth day in which congressional Republicans, as you were saying, will try to choose the new speaker. It is also the second anniversary of the January attack on the Capitol when, if you remember, a mob of then-President Donald Trump supporters tried to stop Congress from certifying the 2020 election. Now, Congressman Kevin McCarthy has been uh, short of these 218 votes. Today, he adopted a more positive tone, saying that negotiations are ongoing, uh, but there's no timeline to, to reach a deal. Uh, this is despite offering new concessions on rules governing House operations to those who do not support him. Now, why is this process so important? Well, at least three congressmen that support McCarthy have stated that delaying the selection of the House Speaker could endanger U.S. national security. And without the Speaker, the new Republican majority cannot form committees to consider, for instance, legislation, begin investigations or provide services for voters in their congressional districts. So, uh, Veronica, Veronica, what are some of the complaints about uh, about Mr. McCarthy here? Well, some believe he isn't beholden enough to the conservative cause. Others, for instance, want assurances that there will be less government spending, for instance. There's also a lot of mistrust and personality difference. Uh, recent public statements of support by former President Donald Trump did not sway any new votes in favor of McCarthy. According, for instance, to the Associated Press, in McCarthy's California hometown of Bakersfield, voters are mixed over whether he should get the job or focus his attention on oil, agriculture, and the local economy. McCarthy, uh, hasn't given any indication that he's going to drop out of the contest. We have to understand that he has been a lawmaker for 16 years, and he, if he were to be chosen, he would not only lead this 435-member lower chamber of Congress, but he would also be second in line of succession to the U.S. presidency under a provision of the U.S. Constitution. So this is why this role is so important to Hayes. So lastly, Veronica, are there any signs that an agreement can be reached today? 
Well, there's no timeline, as I was mentioning at the beginning. Uh, he is apparently uh, comfortable with shrinking somewhat the power of the Speaker's office, but we're going to be sure to let you know promptly on our VOA platforms if there's any deal. It is important to note, as you were saying, that this is the first time in over 100 years that a Republican or Democrat does not win the House speakership on the first round. So obviously there's a lot at stake here. VOA's Veronica Balderas Iglesias, thank you for your input. Thank you for having me. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Kenyan police are investigating the killing of a prominent LGBTQ activist in the west of the country. The badly decomposing body of fashion designer and model Edwin Chiloba was found Wednesday in a metal trunk dumped by a vehicle with no license plates along a road in Uasin Gishu County. The Associated Press says officials are trying to establish the cause of death. The Kenya Human Rights Commission said 25-year-old Chiloba was the victim of what it called another disgusting act of homophobic violence. Amnesty International called his death heartbreaking and said an investigation must leave no stone unturned. The French news agency AFP says his death comes after another LGBTQ activist was found slain last April. Under a colonial-era law, same-sex relations is punishable by 14 years in prison in Kenya. A 2022 report by the Committee to Protect Journalists, CPJ, says African journalists were jailed and so by so-called anti-state charges and droves killed in the line of duty. I asked Mutiki Mumo the Africa representative for the Committee to Protect Journalists, to brief us more on the matter. Now, what does the picture look like here on our continent? I think it's important to start with a little bit of good news and acknowledge that we saw journalists being released, journalists who had been uh, jailed in 2021, uh, being released in 2022 in countries like Ethiopia and Egypt. That's a bit of good news. But unfortunately, that's as far as the good news goes. Because despite some of those releases, we also, we as CPJ, recorded 56 journalists behind bars on the continent of Africa. Uh, some of the countries with the worst records, you know, the worst re- country, the country with the worst record was Egypt, then um, followed by Eritrea and Cameroon. And unfortunately, if you look at these countries, they're countries that have been problematic for journalists for years and years. It's not... Um, it's not new. It's not, you know, it's not uh, something that is only happening in 2022 uh, where we're seeing journalists being detained. There are places where some journalists have been detained for years and years, which is quite tragic and heartbreaking. What are the accusations on the journalists? There are different types of accusations. Um, for these journalists behind bars in Africa and around the world. But we started seeing patterns when we look at the data. And one of the things that comes up frequently is what we at CPJ call anti-state charges. Now, under the umbrella of anti-state charges, 
uh, a couple of things. So there are things like accusations of terrorism or accusations of, you know, attempts to undermine a country's constitution or national security or um, other, for, you know, attempts to undermine the integrity of the state, which is something that we sometimes hear um, in parts of our continent. 24 journalists, uh, for instance, and media workers have been killed in Nigeria between 1992 and 2022. And in Somalia, it has been listed among the deadliest country for journalists. So let's talk about bodily harm and death for journalists. Now, I was drilling down specifically the data for 2022 uh, for sub-Saharan Africa. And what we saw is that we, we, we documented the killing of four journalists in connection to their work. Two of these journalists were in Chad, two were in Somalia. In addition to that, we at CPJ were continuing to investigate what was quite a shocking assassination of a journalist in Kenya. The Pakistani journalist Ashad Sharif, his killing has sent shockwaves throughout the community, and we're continuing to investigate that to determine um, the links to his journalism. As I was saying, um, Somalia is a country where, in comparison to other countries in the, journal, in the region, journalists frequently get attacked. Sometimes they're fatally attacked, they're killed in connection to their work. And two of the four journalists who were killed last year in sub-Saharan Africa in connection to their work were Somali journalists. And if you take a broader picture, a more longer term picture, you can see that since 1992, we at CPJ have documented the killing of at least 73 Somali journalists in connection to their work. This does not include media workers. If you include media workers, the number goes up. And so many of those journalists have never received justice. There's little hope that they'll receive justice. And when you have such an environment, it automatically means that other media workers, other journalists are fearful. They carry out their work in a specific way, perhaps their subjects that they avoid covering because they worry that they, the same fate could befall them and that their families would never have justice for their killings if that were to happen. In such environments, you see a high number of journalists fleeing to exile because system the country is unable to guarantee their safety if they continue doing their work. Another country in the region where we're concerned and continue to be concerned about impunity is South Sudan, which um, again, we've seen journalists killed. The country has a history of conflict and instability. And in that journalists have been targeted uh, for their work. And for those journalists who've been targeted, again, justice remains something that is very difficult to achieve. That was uh, Mutiki Mumo, the African representative for the Committee to Protect Journalists. She talked to me from Nairobi. The United Nations Humanitarian Agency in Ethiopia said yesterday it has been getting increasing amounts of aid to the battered northern Tigray and Afar regions. Still, malnutrition rates are alarmingly high. Maya Mesekir reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Ethiopia says from mid-November through December, more than 3,000 trucks of food, health and shelter aid were sent to Tigray region. In its latest report Thursday, the agency said in the last week of December alone, it assisted 368,000 people in Tigray with food aid, some of which was also sent by air. 
but the biweekly report said malnutrition rates were alarmingly high, with one-third of children and two-thirds of pregnant and lactating women screened in December found to be acutely malnourished. Despite the Ethiopian government allowing increasing amounts of aid to Tigray since a November peace deal, the UN report said some areas were still out of reach. It said organizations working with the UN had assisted about 60% of 5.4 million people targeted for help in Tigray since October. A UN spokesperson in Ethiopia was not immediately available to comment. Dababa Zode, spokesman for Ethiopia's National Disaster and Risk Management Commission, says they have reached areas other aid groups cannot, including border areas near Eritrea, where they have given food to about 81,000 people. Dababa says food assistance has been given to more than 8 million people in need of support in the northern part of the country, including Tigray, Amhara and Afar. The November peace deal between Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front ended two years of war and lifted aid and services blockades to the region. Ethiopia in December restored water, power and telecommunications in several towns in the region, as well as commercial flights to the capital, Megale. While fighting has calmed in Tigray, clashes are being reported in Ethiopia's southern Oromia region. Ethiopia's Oromo and Amhara ethnic groups blame each other for allegedly deadly attacks since November. The UN reports that aid access to Oromia region was difficult, with ongoing conflict displacing more people. It said as of December 30, more than 14,000 people fleeing conflict from Oromia arrived in Amhara region. Maya Misaker for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Last year, 274 million people needed humanitarian assistance and protection, according to the UN Office of the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, a big jump from 235 million people one year ago. VOA's Carol Van Dam talks to the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, Jan England. There hasn't been a period with so many protracted conflicts, well, from the Palestinians who are still under extreme neglect, forgotten, locked up in Gaza, to the people in Mali who are now in a tremendous crisis with internal conflict, with displacement. But on top of that comes climate change. So we call that very often the complex emergencies, the comprehensive uh, emergency, where it's bad governance, conflict, and natural disasters fueled by climate change on top of each other. So what, how does the NRC come into play there in countries like this where need is so high? What do you do? Well, Norwegian Refugee Council is, a, is now a large and I think very effective organization. We have 16,000 field workers, people in the, on the front lines working for some 10 million displaced people and their host communities. What we do is provide humanitarian emergency relief. We provide shelter, water and sanitation. We provide food. We provide camp coordination when people are in in refugee camps. We provide legal aid, including civil documentation, identity cards, birth certificates, everything you need to be, to be able to lead a life. What's happening in Afghanistan? It's, it's really heartbreaking because um, in Afghanistan, which is in a deep, deep economic crisis with a tremendous need that has been exacerbated, became worse after the Taliban 
took over one and a half years ago, that crisis has now become complete because the Taliban leadership out of Kandahar, where the supreme leader uh, of Taliban is sitting, have banned all female aid workers in organizations like my own. Some organizations can continue with health work, some can continue with some work with female staff, but most of us have been paralyzed. So I hope to go to Afghanistan. I hope to bring it up with the Taliban and tell them we cannot continue unless we are able to work also with our female staff that can work directly with female people in need. Our male colleagues cannot do that. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhibi in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbili Abaro, and our engineer, Zanab Abdelrahman, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.